Today, I have the pleasure of receiving our special guest, Jim Wise. He already came on this show, and we're talking about a subject that I have to warn you will not necessarily be easy for you to, to listen to. It could have profound repercussions in your family, but it's so, so much life-giving. Stay tuned. This is Thrive 1110 with Bold Care A of Bold Care Financial, guiding you toward business success and bringing clarity to personal finance. This is Thrive 1110. Welcome to Thrive 1110. This is the show where you get Bible-friendly, practical tips on business and money so you can thrive. And as you thrive, remember the Lord your God who gives you the ability to thrive, to prosper, and be an agent of transformation in your family, in your community, and in your society. I'm Bold Kerry, your host. And today, we are talking about a subject that is a very deep subject Uh, We're going to make it as light as possible, but it's a very serious subject. And like I said, it has uh, profound repercussions on the way um, you view things, you you do things in your family, especially in regards to estate planning. And the the title of today's episode is Inheritolatory. Inheritolatory. And this is a word that is coming from our special guest, Jim Wise. And Jim Wise is a senior partner at the Ron Blue Trust, Ron Blue Institute. He's a leader to leaders. Um, he is someone who, has, who I, I greatly admire, a greater respect for his impact in the, on the kingdom. And uh, welcome, Jim, uh, with us today. Thank you, Bold. It's great to be back with you, my brother. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, being generous uh, again with us today and uh, being on this episode to talk about inherit- inheritolatry. Now, uh, uh, you are going to, to find, out, find out more about inheritolatry uh, in a moment as Jim defines that for you. But as we start, Jim, um, I'd like you maybe to to tell us briefly about what you do. I know you you already uh, came on the on the show before, but just for those catching us for the first time, can you just give us a picture of of, of what you're doing? Of course, I've been a financial advisor for thirty. This is my thirty eighth year, and the last twenty eight of those years, I've been providing comprehensive financial and estate planning uh, services. Uh, primarily to Christians who have above average complexity in their estate situation, but basically helping folks with their stewardship of God's resources uh, and legacy planning, the wealth transfer process. I live in Orlando, Florida, uh, married, have six children, seven grandchildren, and just found out Sunday that number eight is on the way. Oh, wow. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. We're so excited. Uh, that's uh, that's that's a good way to start 2022. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Praising God. Uh, thanks, God. So, Jim, thank you again. Today, we're talking about inheritolatry, and just before we dive in right into what inheritolatry is, can you give us a context for for this subject um, um, as to what you see today? Um, as it relates to maybe the Great Commission and what you see as opportunities and challenges? Uh, Absolutely. Many of us have been reading probably over the last 10 to 20 years 
about this massive wealth transfer uh, that is going to happen from the baby boomer generation to the next generation. Uh, the, the research that I've found that I've tended to rely on estimates that about $67 trillion will be passing generationally between now and 2061. So a tremendous amount of wealth is going to be transferring. And I, I realize that I'm less concerned with the total amount of wealth that will be transferring than I am how much of that wealth is currently being stewarded by God's people. Uh, what, what percentage of that wealth is actually in the hands of the most committed followers of Jesus Christ and folks who are concerned with stewarding it well? And uh, I won't bore you with all of the research or the details, but it, it looks like about $5 trillion are being stewarded by um, Christians that sometime between now and the next 40 years will be passing that wealth somewhere. So uh, in my research, I became really struck not only by the amount of wealth that God has entrusted to his people, because non-Christians are not concerned about completing the work of the Great Commission or doing the work that God has called us to. It is the followers of Jesus who have that concern. And when I found out how much wealth was going to pass, it naturally triggered the question for me, how much will it actually cost to complete the work of the Great Commission? I was curious as to the resources we have, are they sufficient to do the work that God has called Christians to do, that virtually all Christians agree that's what we're supposed to be doing, is reaching every people, nation, tribe, and language with the gospel and making disciples. So I did some additional research to try to quantify the numbers, and again, to just abbreviate it for our listeners, um, the cost will be around $63 billion uh, to get a missionary, significant missionary and church planting presence in all remaining unengaged people groups so that the process of proclaiming Christ and making disciples can begin, combined with um, putting God's word in the heart language of every remaining people group in the world that don't currently have it. So if you if you look at the things that are necessary to complete the Great Commission, um, I've estimated the total cost based on the research I've done at around $63 billion, and that's in comparison with $5 trillion that is currently being stewarded by God's most faithful, most committed people. So the opportunity and the excitement is God has given us way more wealth already than is needed to finish the work that we know he's called us to do. Wow, wow. And like so that, that you know that leads us straight to the point of inheritolatry so in, in that context 5 trillion and we we only need about 63 billion let's even say let's even say 100 100 billion <laughs> so so can you give us in that context what inheritolatry is? Can you give us a definition of what inheritolatry is? Yes, and I apologize for coming up with a word that is so difficult for most of us <laughs> to say. I've, I've admired the way that you've got it right every time you've said it. Um, but basically, I was trying to think of a, a, of a concept that would make sense to everyone. And inheritolatry is a word that I made up that combines idolatry and inheritance. 
So the definition of inheritolatry is basically the idolatry of inheritance. And there are two different, distinctly different groups of people that can manifest the symptoms of inheritolatry. One would be the Christians, my generation and older, uh, the Christians that God has entrusted some excess resources to that might be idolizing that wealth in terms of our intention to pass it down, leave either all of it or a significant portion of it automatically, indiscriminately, all of it to the next generation without regard to the size of our estate, uh, without regard to their spiritual commitment, their financial needs, or even their demonstrated financial responsibility. In other words, almost separating God from the process and just idolizing the inheritance in our kids and indiscriminately dropping a tremendous amount of wealth on them. But inheritolatry is also manifested by the next generation. Uh, it looks a little bit different, but for the, the heirs that stand to inherit large amounts of money, um, it, inheritolatry looks like the unhealthy fixation on the funds and the property that they stand to inherit. And it's often characterized by a consumptive lifestyle um, financial irresponsibility, and sometimes a sense of material entitlement. So the idolatry of inheritance takes place both in the uh, group of folks that have the wealth that are going to be passing it down, and also in the next generation who stands to inherit a large amount of money, and they know that it's coming. All right. So now, if, if you're listening to this, I think you start to get a sense of why I'm saying that this subject is not an easy one. It's not an easy conversation because it has deep repercussions inside families. And um, it actually goes against um, traditional worldview on, on, on inheritance, basically. And uh, we're going right into the heart of what God says in His Word uh, regarding these things. And Jim, Jim, you started talking about what inheritolatry is. You, you gave us these two groups, the parents and the, and, the, and the next generation. Now, can you give us a few symptoms of what, let's say someone is listening and is, okay, I, am I being an inheritolater or do I have a tendency to lean towards inheritolatry without realizing? So what could be some of these symptoms? Well, there, there are a few different signs. Uh, there are, uh, I'd like to break them down into two different categories. One are verbal indicators of inheritolatry. So some things we might find ourselves saying uh, to other folks that would indicate this might be a struggle. And then there are also some practical indicators, just um, actions that often might be taken by a Christian to whom God has entrusted excess financial resources. So some verbal indicators, we might find ourselves saying things like, I want my kids to have it easier than I did. Um, or uh, this is fairly common for Christians with wealth that have been living kind of at a uh, maybe an uh, elevated standard of living might say something like, well, I can't allow my kids and grandkids to live, it, uh, to have a standard of living that is below what they've become accustomed to. Uh, or if there's any discussion about making decisions with regard to treating, as Ron Blue likes to say, love your kids equally by treating them uniquely. Um, hearing someone say, oh, I could never do that. I can never make that decision because my children would be upset with me. 
which is a little scary to me in view of the fact that God claims ownership of all resources. He's the one that we are beholden to. It's his wisdom we need to be implementing in the decision-making process. Uh, But if I were to say, or my wife were to say, oh, I can never do that, even though it appears that God's word is instructing me um, because my kids would be upset. uh, I know for my wife and I, we're more concerned with uh, how is Jesus going to respond when we give an account to him for the wealth he's entrusted to us? So, But those are ideas of a, a few of the verbal indicators that maybe we all can be listening for. Do any of those things kind of tend to come out of our mouth from time to time? Uh, and if they do, it's, it's not sinful. It just indicates we may have adopted the world's perspective on wealth and wealth transfer as opposed to God's. Practical indicators of inheritolatry, the, the, the most obvious is when a Christian family with excess resources has the plan to pass a significant amount of wealth to heirs that might have a history of poor financial decision-making, irresponsible spending patterns. In some cases, I've seen addictive or destructive behavior patterns, um, estrangement from parents, broken relationships, kids that might have a sense of entitlement. Uh, Kids that have just completely abandoned the faith of their parents have no interest in uh, in God or the Great Commission or generosity. Uh, But basically, that's a a practical sign of inheritolatry is when the estate plan is just indiscriminately passing all of the resources down to kids, regardless of some of these uh, things that they may have been manifesting that are unhealthy and where receiving a large amount of resources could actually hurt them as opposed to help them. Um, and, and probably the other significant practical indicator is when uh, God's people who have been really endeavoring to practice faithful biblical stewardship in the day-to-day management of God's resources, uh, recognizing God owns it, recognizing that he's entrusted it to us, uh, encouraged generosity, encouraged contentment, and, and biblical responsibility with the wealth, but we don't even attempt to apply the same biblical wisdom or biblical principles to the estate planning process as we've been trying to live by in the day-to-day money management. And honestly, I see that happen fairly frequently because most folks, when they need, a, need estate planning counsel, they may be going to a secular estate attorney to get their will prepared. So they're probably not going to have a discussion of what is God's perspective on wealth transfer. And even if they go to a Christian estate attorney, um, oftentimes this n- n- nobody seems uh, excited about having this particular discussion. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times uh, really faithful, generous Christians to whom God has entrusted excess resources what is in their estate planning documents doesn't in any way reflect the way that they've been managing God's resources during their lifetime. Mm, wow. Thank you so much, uh, Jim. See, th- this is, this is really not an easy conversation and, and you've, you've really, you've really depicted what the problem is. Five trillion in the hands of Christians, only 63 billion needed to complete the work of the Great Commission. But for some reason, we can wonder, are we going to be able to do it in the next in the next century or something? And this is an issue, the inheritolatory issue. So 
Having said what you said, Jim, um, let's transition into our let's get practical section. Bold. Let's get practical. And in this let's get practical section, let's maybe talk about what are the what what does the Bible teach us in regards to inheritance? What are maybe some principles that we can learn from the Bible and apply them so that we we stay away from inheritolatry? I was able to derive uh, four very practical principles, and and for the sake of um, some of our listeners who the first question that may go through their mind is where where are these coming from? How how did you go about finding these principles? The process I used was I went through the entire Bible cover to cover. Uh, I did a word search, uh, so used uh, inherit and inheritance. And every single passage in the entire Bible that contained one of those two words, I cut and pasted into a huge Word document and then just started pouring through all of those passages to see what kind of wisdom I could glean directly from the scriptures in terms of what should my mindset be toward this uh, concept of inheritance. And as I went through all of the passages it was interesting that they most of them fell very neatly into one of two different categories. The majority of the New Testament references to inheritance, not all of them, but almost all of them, actually referred to our spiritual inheritance in Christ, which that's one of my favorite topics and favorite things to talk about. Uh, but it was not as instructive in terms of how would God have us deal with property, money, wealth, financial resources that are going to be inherited. But when I went back through all of the Old Testament passages, the majority of those actually did deal directly with wealth transfer, with um, property, with the land promises that God had given to Israel. So I segmented those that uh, those passages that dealt with wealth. Uh, and then I went through them and looked at how did God instruct Israel and what principles can we derive from the instruction that God gave to his people in terms of the way that they were supposed to handle inheritance. So there were four principles that jumped out, uh, and I'll we can go through them one at a time, but uh, to just outline them up front. Um, inequality. In other words, doing something different for one child than you are for another. Inequality is permitted. Um, re uh, requests are acceptable. Requests by the heirs to inherit a particular piece of property uh, are absolutely acceptable. Uh, the third one and the, the last two is where it gets very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel like some of our listeners might start cringing at the thought of having even going through this process and having these discussions. Um, but third is limitations are prudent. And fourth is responsibility is required. So those are the four principles that just jumped out. And uh, if you like, I can just start running through them one at a time, yes, kind of where did they come from? And then how might we apply them in our day, in our generation, with our families. Yeah, if 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 you don't mind, yeah, I, that would be really great, Jim. If we can, uh, if we can do that, yeah. Okay, well, let's start with uh, the first principle: inequality is permitted. Um, where do we find that concept? 
it's it's interesting. This didn't occur to me until I started pouring through the verses, and then I saw it in multiple different ways, multiple different places. Um, but if you remember in the Old Testament, there was a concept called the double portion, and the oldest son inherited a double portion, uh, and it was universal. And the reason they did that is simply because God told them to do it. Uh, and it, and I'm not voting or arguing in favor of the double portion. That was instruction God gave to his people Israel at that time. But the point is that is inherently in American terms or Canadian terms, it feels unfair to treat one child differently from the others. And reality is built into the fabric of the inheritance process was something that we would consider to be unfair because the children were not all treated equally. So the double portion was one inequality example that we see. Uh, Perhaps the the biggest one and the most directly applicable to us in our day was the size of the family. When the leaders were dividing up the land inheritance among the, the clans, the tribes, the individual families, God's specific instruction was do it based on the size of the family in other words, their, their financial need. To, he specifically said to the families that, ha, that are larger, give a larger inheritance. And to ones that are smaller, which, in other words, don't have as much of a need, they should get the smaller inheritance. In other words, the, we should be thinking in terms of, or at least God was thinking in terms of, how great is the need, how large is the family, and make the decision, take that into consideration in the amounts of the inheritance. And the final one, this is one that none of us um, like, I guess, unless we're sons. But uh, if you remember uh, in the Old Testament, who was allowed to get an inheritance at all? Exclusively the sons. The daughters were not allowed to receive an inheritance. Now, we think we know why that was, unlike the double portion, which it never tells us why. Um, But it was anticipated that the daughters would marry, and if by marrying, whoever they married would have an inheritance from their family, Uh, But there was an interesting uh, instance in Numbers chapter 27 where there was a a family that only had five daughters and they went to Moses and kind of complained about our father's name being blotted out of of, uh, Israel. And they were actually then given an inheritance. But the point is, all three of these double portion, size of family and sons or daughters, all three of them were built into the inheritance process for Old Testament Israel on God's command. And all three of them are inherently unfair in, in our minds or unequal. So the point is not to say we should feel obligated to repeat that particular way of passing down the inheritance. The point is to say if if we are thinking about doing something that is not completely equal, every child gets exactly the exact same thing. We are on solid biblical ground to at least entertain the thought that God's intention was not for us to just indiscriminately pass down the exact same amount of wealth to each family because each family situation is different. So practically speaking, a, a, a couple of examples where this becomes a huge issue adult kids, um, just varying income levels. Some of us are going to have an adult child or two who may be doing incredibly well financially. They may be doing better than than we ever did in our lifetime financially. 
And we also may have uh, some kids that because of the um, professions that they've chosen or the size of their family, they may have an entirely different financial situation, far greater need. Just to give a, a, a very real example of this, if one of my daughters is a surgeon, I have five daughters and one son. If one of my daughters is a surgeon, married to a surgeon, and they choose to remain childless, that is an entirely different financial situation than another daughter of mine who is a homeschooling mom that is married to a Christian school teacher, which is not a very high paying job uh, in many places, that has six kids, one of whom is special needs. So just common sense, think about that. If, If you've got Two surgeons, no kids, and they're going to make more than mom and dad ever made in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And you've got another very large family, very low income and some special needs. Those are inherently different financial situations. And yet most people, without even thinking about it, will divide the money equally between all the kids without regard to what kind of need is actually there, uh, without regard to the financial circumstances that uh, each of the kids might find themselves in. So the first principle uh, is inequality is permitted. Uh, the second principle is that requests are acceptable. And G- Jim, um, G- if if I may interrupt there, just before yeah. we go to the second principle, because I I think this is this is very very important in in light of really what we are called to do as Christians, like this great commission. I think this subject is very very important, and uh, I, I was trying to maybe fit this into one episode but we're going to have to 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 do this on two episodes so let's let's really take the time to cover this excuse me to cover this in two episodes because this is really really critical uh in sure. in, in, in the years to come in the in the in the decades to come so so take your time jim and really unpack um uh points uh, points 2 and points 3 point 2.3.4 we're going to cover them in a second episode. Um, but before we do that, maybe one or two references that um, we can find for this for this um, first point, if people want to go and check them out. Um, Deuteronomy 21, 15, 17, that would be one of them. Uh, that's the double portion. Yeah. Yes. Numbers 26. Uh, numbers 26 and that's where the instruction was given to make give the inheritance based on the size of the family perfect and then numbers 27 that would uh, be the yes. sons and daughters yes yeah. yes verses 1 to 8 i i just wanted to take the time and and, and share these verses that that you had uh, provided to me jim because um i think it's important for people to go back and with these laws what is important is these laws that we see in the Old Testament or these principles that we see in the Old Testament, even if we're living in a New Testament era, this really gives us a, a window in the heart of God and, and, and what he finds acceptable or not, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're looking at two different things. One is what did God permit? And the other is, in addition to that, what did God command? Uh, and as, as you said, Bold, the application may look very different in our day. Um, I, I've not heard any 
any Christians modern day that are or pastors that are arguing for the the double portion or only giving inheritance to um, sons versus daughters. But as you said, the the heart of God, uh, there are three different examples where in God's mind, it didn't have to be equal. And in some cases, he commanded in such a way that it would not be equal. So this is only one of the principles. And when you combine all four principles together, uh, the, the principles that follow make it much easier to make decisions with principle one. If I'm going to do something that is unequal, how do I go about making that inequality decision? And does, does, I appreciate your <laughs> sensitivity to the time and being able to get the scripture <laughs> included as well. So, and our, our friends really, really, thank you, Jim. And, and and this is something that we are going to cover during the next episode. So you want to tune in as we continue. Uh, on points, principle number two, principle number three, principle number four, in light of what Jim has already taught us with principle number one. So um, as we, we're ending this episode here, uh, I'll, I'll invite you to tune in next week at 9 a.m. CHRI, or you can listen to it on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to the website thrive1110.ca. And you'll be able to re-listen to this to this um, episode um, if you if you didn't catch it from the beginning, where Jim explains inheritolatry and the problem and the challenge that we have, and at the same time the opportunity that we have. Um, so I'm Bol Kere, your host. This has been Thrive Eleven Ten, and I'm inviting you to connect again next week as we continue talking about this not easy but necessary subject of inheritolatry. When honest people prosper, the whole city celebrates. Thrive 1110. To learn more or to connect with Bold, go to thrive1110.ca.